I'll ask anybody's questions but yours, if you're an idiot. My wife can score more than two buckets on 11 shots because I know my wife will at least shot fake one time. I want they bury me upside down and my critics can kiss my Welcome in to Made for March, Tyler Aki and Tim Leonard. We've got the news of the summer. I, I think I can say that, Tim. I think I can confidently say we will not get bigger news all summer yeah. long. <laughs> because Coach K is laying out the groundwork to step down after the end of the upcoming season. He will be replaced by John Shire. We're going to discuss what all of this means and more. But first, check us out on Twitter at Made the Number Four March. Also, you can find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're new to the show, be sure to hit that subscribe button, and you'll get all of our episodes all summer long in your podcast feeds. All right, so Coach K, kind of out of nowhere, as in classic Coach K fashion, mm-hmm. blindsides the entire country. I think people knew the end was near. I didn't think people knew the end was this near, per se. But he's going to step down at the end of the season. It seems like there's a lot of different factors going into this, whether it was the pandemic wearing on him, whether it was the fact that college basketball is changing at such a rapid pace. It's all kind of a recipe for disaster for coaches who are in their mid-70s, early 70s, to say, you know what, this might be the time to finally get out. Coach K made that call, and once you start to think about it, this all kind of makes a lot of sense, and it's probably a good thing for Coach K that this is going to be his last season. Yeah, it's it's shocking still. Even though people probably knew it was coming soon, there's never going to be a way that Coach K announces this, and it's not like a bomb, right? I mean, it felt right. like... Jeff Goodman was dropping a woge bomb on us, to put it in NBA terms, the way that it came out. And when it first came out, I thought it meant he was just retiring right away. I just saw the tweet. It had already blown up all these likes. It's all over my timeline. And I read it really quickly and was like, oh, man, Coach K just did the Roy Williams. He just announced his retirement out of the blue. Then you step back and you see that the plans are for him to retire after this upcoming season which you can look at one of two ways, I guess. You can look at it and say he did that for himself because now he gets his farewell tour. He gets to smell the roses, gets what he Classic. deserves. He's he's smelling every last one of those right. roses, too. That's one you know way it. to look at it. Oh, yeah. And, and then the second way is he did it for the program, and there's a lot of value in recruiting and everything and saying, okay, here's the plan, here's what we're doing, and John Shire's going to be the guy after next year. So when you look at the the timeline of everything, it obviously makes a lot of sense. And, and of course, it is classic Coach K to kind of lay out his own retirement party. I, I've told this to you before. It feels like this is the guy who throws his own birthday party for himself. And that, that to me... It, it doesn't rub me the wrong way. I don't necessarily He deserves care. It's it. Just, Look, it's like, just kind of like... Yeah, yeah, it's like classic Coach K. Like, of course he's going to do something right. like that. But... Getting into the the real reasoning behind it, if it is s- supposedly the real reasoning behind it, but the fact that it lays out a timeline for recruits to know, I think that stuff is important because if you don't lay it out that way, then all of a sudden 
it's going to start to get leaked because he's going to be telling recruits parents this stuff. And if you're telling 50 some kids parents or 25 or 30, however many guys he's going to go after in this upcoming class, if you're going to tell all their parents, hey, I'm not going to be the one that's coaching. Well, good luck keeping everyone's parents mouths shut like that. It's just not going to work that way in AAU circles. And I do think there's also a downside to it because this is going to be, once again, a very young Duke team, and like it has been really the past couple of years, but you have now invited the circus to every single game you're going to play in next season. And I don't know if younger guys are necessarily equipped to handle that every single night where it's like, like remember how big Zion and yeah. RJ and Cam I feel like this is going to amplify. It's going to be even bigger than what that was from a coverage standpoint. You're going to see the the Coach K, the final standoff with Jim Beheim and Leonard Hamilton and Tony Bennett and all these other ACC coaches. You're going to see the little tour make its way through, and it's going to you've you've already got a red X on your back just because you're Duke University. Now that red X has just gotten even bigger. Yeah, I mean, I do think the games that were already pretty big will get even bigger. The UNC games will be a huge deal because it's, and especially that last one, it'll be the last time Coach K goes against UNC. The last time he goes up to Syracuse may be kind of a big deal when he's going against Jim Beheim, his good pal, for one final time, and his fellow coach for Team USA for all those years. I don't know if it's necessarily going to be a huge thing outside of the the huge games, but like you're right. I mean, it's, it definitely adds more intrigue to the season. You wonder if it hurts or if it helps a younger team, if they're more motivated knowing that this is Coach K's last go around, if he's going to be more motivated as a coach knowing, okay, this is it. I got to just sell my soul basically for one more year and just go all out and try and make the most of it and polish off my legacy in a good way, but... I think it's it's right that he gets that last game. And it's just fascinating because Roy Williams and Coach K, while they're contemporaries in a lot of ways, and they'll always be associated with one another for as long as college basketball is a thing, they're very different. And the way they go out is kind of true to them. And I don't mean that as like Coach K's cocky. I mean, sure, I'm more of a UNC guy when I talk about the rivalry, but I just mean that Roy goes out, he has his press conference, and it's very unique. It's him getting up there and saying the game has pretty much passed me by and apologizing to the fan base. Kay and a lot of other coaches would never do that, and it's sort of odd that the manner in which they went out is kind of fitting for their personalities, for kind of the state of the program and all that. Right, it it all makes sense, the, the way like you kind of laid it out there, that they're both going out, and... Like I've always said, Roy has been the most self-aware coach in sports. He knew the time was now. I think Kay kind of wanted one more bite at the apple to see if he could do it. And just to maybe prove to himself that, hey, I can go out and have success really through any era of college basketball. And it makes sense. And I don't blame him. And then you've got Jim Beheim, who will, I'm sure, talk a little bit more later on in the show. But Jim Beheim, I mean, he's going to not just take one bite of the apple, he's going to try to eat the whole yeah. thing, it feels like. <laughs> so we'll, we'll see how the whole Beheim scenario plays out. I know Adam Zagoria just wrote a big piece on Forbes about how Beheim wants to coach into his 80s. We'll see if he can do it. But getting into what Kay's legacy and all that stuff, like it, I find it foolish to just start 
thrown around, like where does he rank in the pantheon? Obviously, he's one of the all-time greats, all right? Is he the greatest college basketball coach on the men's side of all time? No, I still think it's John Wooden. I, I don't think there's really much of a dispute. But when you look at the way that, because Wooden kind of did it through a similar era throughout. But Cade did it through multiple eras, and his ability to adapt has always kind of struck me as impressive. Yeah. Because he's been through, and, and of course that comes with the territory when you're coaching for 40 plus years, and you're also the all-time winningest coach in men's college basketball history, but I look at his ability to get the four-year guy, turn the four-year guy into the star, and then transition into this era of one and done, even though... He was skeptical at first. He got over, I'm not saying he was stubborn, but he got over, for the lack of a better word, his inner stubbornness to go out and and find a new way to win. And he adapted to the one-and-done model. And quite frankly, I mean, he had just as much, if not more, success than John Calipari with the one-and-done. And I think you could even say it is he has been more successful at Calipari's game because of the fact that he came in late to it, but then he just stockpiled all the recruits that all these big name guys in the NBA. You think about it: the Kyrie Irvings, the Jason Tatum's, the Zion Williamson's. I feel like the K one and done portfolio is better than Cal's. Yeah, it might be, and you know, you could make a case that the one and done era he maybe should have jumped out of by now. Like we're kind of on the wrong side of that era now, and. It again goes back to this is a different time in college basketball. There's a lot of changes that are on the horizon that make his job even more challenging. I do think that played a part in Roy Williams' decision. I do think that played a part in Coach K's decision to call it quits. But also they're just old and they've been coaching a while and they probably want to just go play golf and, and hang out. And that's totally their right as well. But, you know, they hadn't made a Final Four since 2015. That's kind of surprising. I saw that right. yesterday circling around Twitter and... It hasn't been great for UNC or Duke now, which gets into the conversation of what's it going to be like for the next 10, 15 years? Are they going to be able to sustain success without Coach K? And really the question is, how much of Duke's success was Coach K? And is he bigger than the program now? Will they be able to still be Duke with John Shire and with other coaches? And frankly, I think there's going to be a dip for both these schools pretty big in Duke and UNC. And I think it's already started to dip. And that's part of the reason why I feel like it's going to be kind of some under the expectation years for these schools on the horizon. So I'm looking at, let's look at four programs here. Okay. The three in the ACC that are obvious when you look at guys like Bayheim at Syracuse, K at Duke, Roy at UNC. And then I'll throw Izzo and Michigan State. If you had to rank, like, is the head coach the program? Is the head coach everything to the program right now? In terms of the head coach holding the most value to the program to least value to the program, where would you rank the four? Because I've got mine. I can start off if you need a little bit of time to think. I'm just kind of springing this on you. I would say... Beheim and Coach K are at the top. Beheim probably slightly edges him out because Duke was at least something before Coach K. They had gone to a national title two years before he took the job. But I'll be honest, 
he's pretty much the program. And when they've been successful, it's pretty much been Coach K. So I think you have to put those two in a tier of their own. And then Izzo, and then I think clearly number four in my mind is UNC and Roy because they've they're Dean Smith. That's their great Dean coach. Smith, Michael Jordan. Yeah, yeah. I mean there, right. there's plenty of history at Carolina. I would agree with those rankings. My one sort of pushback would be I think that K the, the gap between Bayheim and K I think is a little bit bigger than what you might be suggesting just because of the fact that. Once you build up a program to be the premier brand in the sport, then to me it, it gets into the question of, okay, you've built this thing to be so big that even if you do remove yourself from the equation, there's still a hell of a lot of value. Like if Forbes were to do their college basketball, they, they do the most valuable franchises thing. If they were to do a list of college basketball, most valuable quote-unquote franchise, most valuable programs. Duke is number one, and I think it's with or without K. It's still probably number one just because it is the nationwide brand. They feel like the Cowboys, the Yankees of college basketball. And so even without K, I still think there's a lot of value to what Duke is as a program. I think once Jim Beheim leaves, you might see a, a sharp decline at Syracuse and, and yeah. what the outlook of the program is for a couple years if they don't figure it out right away and hit a home run with whatever hire they make right and i i agree with you the one thing i would say is the the really question is not is duke the premier brand right now with k the question is after five years from now will they still be successful enough to be the premier brand and that's where it gets into the conversation of basically how how much do you believe in John Shire? I think that's what this comes down to, and that's what we'll probably talk about mostly on this podcast is how worried should Duke fans be? What is Duke going to be in the next five to ten years? And objectively, John Shire is a very risky hire. I like John Shire. Yes. I think he could be a young, bright coach. I think there's a lot of like good recruiting stuff that he's already done with the program. But let's face it, he's going to be, what, 35 when he takes the job? Yeah. I think so 35 he's been an assistant at one school just one school that's one of the easier schools to be an assistant at for eight years and he's never been a head coach if you were Arizona an Arizona fan or a Texas fan or a Creighton fan or whoever and John Shire was hired tomorrow or just a guy with the pedigree of 35 eight-year assistant never been a head coach but a pretty good assistant I'd be worried if I was that school and now he's taking over a program that has extremely high expectations every year. And by the way, they haven't really been great the past couple of years either. They're already kind of on a decline. So you got to kind of right the ship and then bring it back up to these sky high expectations in your first ever job as a head coach. I'm not saying it's not going to work, but it's risky. I mean, it's they could have gone after a, a, a Jay Wright, a Tony Bennett. They probably wouldn't have said yes, but... If you get a proven coach, then I would objectively just feel much better about Duke's next five to ten years because I know that coach can get it done. If you got a Nate Oates, I'm getting on this podcast and saying Duke will be fine. Duke is a huge brand. John Shire could not work out. He could just be too young. Right, and I get the concerns there, and I find it very interesting that when you look at the the recent 
hires if you include this as one of the recent hires of college basketball. You've had two of the biggest jobs in the entire sport. I would say two of three. You could even argue the top two jobs in the sport have opened up in the last, what, three months? And both of them have gone to first-time guys. (laughs) Yeah, so, so two months pretty much. And both have gone to first-time guys, and they have been, quote-unquote, in the family hires. Yep. And to me, I find that fascinating. And I think if you're Syracuse, you have to watch how this plays out because this could determine how you make your decision. Is it going to be – because you'd imagine at Syracuse it's going to be an in-the-family hire. I don't think that's any sort of secret. But it could determine whether or not you go Mike Hopkins or whether or not you go Jerry McNamara. Because the all right, uh, the hotshot recruiter guy who's younger won a championship. Former national, with you. yeah, right, right. Is that the guy you want to lead your program? Or we also have a guy out there who's been coaching and has a little bit of experience, has won a coach of the year in a power conference. Like, is that the route you want to go? Uh, it's very fascinating, and I think that. For Jim Beheim to talk with Zags and say he wants to coach till his 80, if he does make it into his 80s, I think you're going to have a sample size on Hubert Davis and John Shire. And who knows? Maybe they're leading perennial number one teams in the country. Maybe they're not in the job anymore. That's still to be seen. And I I still think, and, and we can get into Shire a little bit now, but I still think that John Shire is going to be a good coach just because of the way that he has bred success at every step of his life, whether it was high school, college, getting a coaching job at a premier college basketball institution, and then winning a championship as a college basketball assistant, and then not just that, but being one of the best recruiters in the entire country. Now, it helps when you have a base like Duke that you're pitching every single time, but guess what? He's still going to be pitching the Duke basketball brand every single time, too. So I think that the the Shire thing, he's been successful at every stage of his life. And I don't think we're going to see, of course, you might see a little bit of a drop off. There may be a year or two where people are a little skeptical. But keep in mind, he was ranked as one of the top recruiters every single year. He was getting guys like Tatum and Zion, all these guys to come and hang around at Duke for a year. And in some cases... Some of them wanted to stay a little bit longer than a year, but they knew that they had to go and get these guys to the NBA because ultimately that's what helps them out more is the ability to sell their program as a one and done for guys and and turn them into top five, top 10 picks. So I still think John Shire is, it makes a lot of sense, even though it is a first time guy and a lot of pressure, but he's kind of lived up through a lot of that pressure throughout his entire career at whatever venture he's going into. Right, and to play devil's advocate, because I don't necessarily disagree with you, but the just to lay out the argument against what you're saying, it's there's been a lot of great recruiters at Duke while Coach Gay has been there. Couldn't yeah. a lot of guys be getting those players? And then the other thing is, has John Shire, like you said, been successful at every step of his life? Yes, but Matt Doherty was the same way when he came in to replace Dean Smith after a couple years. And that flopped. And yes, Carolina got it back on track, but they had a Roy Williams. A Roy Williams who, not every school is going to have a guy in the family that is coaching at a Blue Blood in Kansas and can transition to UNC. So 
you get into, okay, how have these other Blue Bloods managed after one great coach was there? And you look at a school like UCLA. They have been on the upswing. I mean, they might be the preseason number one next year after an unlikely Final Four run. But in, in all fairness, they haven't been UCLA for a while. And really, the conversation around UCLA has been, how do they get back to being UCLA? And they've had tons of different coaches for a while since John Wooding has left. Indiana, Bob Knight, who there's tons of parallels to Coach K and Bob Knight, of course. Same thing. I think they've hired now five coaches in the past 21 years. They go to Mike Woodson this year. It seems like there might be some reinvigoration in the program right now, but results-based, it's been a huge drop-off since Bob Knight has left. There's other success stories, though. UNC is a success story because they had that Roy Williams, and he was able to come in and, and get them back on track, in my mind. Kansas is a big success story. They've really continued as Kansas for a while. Kentucky's a success story. They have never had like any bad stretches in their program history. So will Duke and UNC, this iteration of UNC, fall into the Kansas-Kentucky category? Or will it fall into the Indiana-UCLA category? And I think a lot of it just depends on how good of a coach is John Shire and how good of a coach is Hubert Davis. Right. And I think there's something to be said to when it's K making the pick. Like, I think this was the case with Purdue when they went from Gene Cady to Matt Painter is that was Gene Cady's pick. It was Matt Painter that was going to take over. And I would say Matt Painter's had a, a good amount of success with Purdue. He gets to the tournament. And I mean, I think they're going to be a team that can be very, very good this upcoming season as well. So when it's handpicked by the guy, it's not always handpicked, especially because most of these instances it hasn't always been retirement, too. Sometimes it is they move on to other jobs and all that. But I'll be interested to see, since it was a Coach K pick, if that is going... Because he knows a little yeah. bit more of what Shire's X's and O's might look like than anyone else. And I'm intrigued at to how this season is going to play out. Is Shire going to maybe quasi-coach some of these non-conference games? And get him a little bit of a taste of that. Like you don't always need your, you don't always need a coach K to go beat army. Like John Shire could coach and probably beat army. Would you let him do that? Like I remember in the NBA, remember at the end of the bubble season when the Toronto Raptors and Adrian Griffin's name was all the buzz and coaching of who was going to hire Adrian Griffin, all that stuff. So Nick nurse, let him go out and coach one of the games in the bubble. Yeah, I'm wondering if we might see Coach K do that in some of the non-con games or maybe even like against, I don't know, who's the worst team in the ACC? Wake Forest. Like, Is he going to be allowed to coach a Wake Forest game, essentially? And then it gets and weird, though. It's kind of tough. It gets I, weird, and yeah. I don't know if he'd get a an ACC game, but if if there's a, a cupcake non-conference well, game... Well, K's back is going to flare up at some point, right? That's true. I mean, I mean <laughs> they're going to lose like the first two games on the retirement tour for the ACC go-arounds, and then, yeah, he might have his yeah, back flare right. up or something like that. <laughs> and we might get to see a, a taste of John Shire right away. So it will be intriguing to see how it all plays out. And I will say, from a Duke standpoint, it's always nice to have a John Shire on your staff. Who is going to be that next John Shire on the staff? And I think it could be Nolan Smith, who just got elevated to an assistant coach this past spring, is John Shire also going to be grooming Nolan Smith at the same time? And because a lot of case success these past couple of years, you need to give 
a good amount of credit. I'm not necessarily saying X's and O's wise, but in building personnel and getting these different guys to campus, John Shire deserves a lot of that credit. And you're going to need it. John Shire is going to need a John Shire on his staff. And he's probably also going to need a former head coach on his staff as well. And you wonder what that name might look like. Is it going to be a Wojo? Could it be Chris Collins? Like who is going to be the head coach on his staff? Because we saw how beneficial that was to Jawan Howard to have Phil Martelli on his staff. I yeah. mean, how many times during a Michigan game did you see a he camera shot at the nauseam. bench yeah. and then <laughs> Phil Martelli? And then color commentator X goes into a long praise of, of Phil Martelli, which he deserved because I think he did a lot for helping Juwan Howard. But there is going to need some sort of stability with a first-year coach at a premier program. And I think you look at Collins, you look at Wojo. I'm sure there's a couple other names that you could throw out there. Is Jeff Capel still going to be around at Pitt at the end of this whole thing? So you you could you could have some options too, and it's going to be yeah. a former Duke guy in all likelihood. So we'll see how that plays out too. I'm I'm pretty interested by how Shire will build his staff because I'd imagine. It'll still feature Nolan Smith, and then after that, you're going to have to find a uh, former head coach probably and then maybe one other guy. Yeah, and it gets talked about a lot, but the staff is a huge deal for these coaches, especially when you're a first-year head coach. You know, you bring up those names that you were talking about there, Collins and just the rest of the Duke guys, Wojo, that have gone on capable to be head coaches, and it makes me wonder, is John Shire being pegged as the successor? Is that Coach K saying, wow, this guy has been unbelievable as a player. He's been my guy all along. I feel really confident in him. Or is that him saying, okay, he's the only guy left on the staff that we can actually peg as a successor. And if K is being honest, what Jeff, Jeff Capel has done as a head coach, I mean, he's consistently underwhelmed. I know he's brought in talent, but you go look at what his team's projected on Ken Palm and what they finished the year. I think it's like one year, and it was the Blake Griffin year. He outshined his expectations. Wojo just got fired. That rules him out. Chris Collins hasn't done a whole lot. I mean, they made the tournament with Northwestern, but still, like, is it... Been downhill since. Right. Is it that the Coach K coaching tree that has gone on to be head coaches is not all that impressive, with the exception of Quinn Snyder, who maybe they reached out to, and he just said, no, I'm killing it with the Utah Jazz, no thanks. So I wonder, is Shire being pegged as the guy because Kay truly believes he's the prodigy and he's the second coming and he's going to be that it guy for a while? Or is he being pegged as the guy because Kay just wants to retire and he doesn't want to deal with name, image, and likeness and he surveyed all the options and maybe he called Quinn Snyder, he said no, and now he's like, okay, this is our best bet is John Shire because all the other coaches haven't really panned out for my coaching tree. Well, I also, I, there are a couple names I left off on purpose because I don't think that they would take an assistant job with Shire. And that's Tommy Amaker and Johnny Dawkins, both of which have come off of the Coach K tree and had success as yeah. well. So it's not like everyone has failed, No, it's per not se, an unsuccessful but, tree, but they're just there's not a Roy Williams out there, which is totally right. normal that there's not. But And that's the same for UNC, like... The in-house candidates at UNC were not sexy. It was Wes Miller or Hubert Davis at the end of the day. And while a lot of people liked Wes Miller a lot, and maybe they should have gone that route, 
it's not like he's a Roy Williams. So it makes it a tougher decision for these teams. No doubt. And listen, Harvard is not Kansas. Central Florida is not Kansas. You're not just going to pick off Bill Self in all likelihood. And Kay, of course, probably wanted to keep it in the family as well. So your options dwindle just from that regard. I don't think Duke was going to go out and make some giant search because of the fact that, A, you're going to bring in a new athletic director. And if the new athletic director's first big task is going to be replacing Coach K, good luck. Because even if the coach goes out and has success, in all likelihood, there's still going to be a a sizable portion of the fan base that is going to micromanage and micro-pick at every single move new head coach makes because it is a new athletic director hire. That's never an easy thing to do. So... I think Coach K did do the Duke Athletic Department a huge solid by picking it himself, and I think that is the right way to go. I was surprised that we didn't see this drawn out a little bit longer to get maybe a deeper look at a guy like Dawkins or Amaker. Yeah. Guys who had head coaching experience, and not just that, success as head coaches as well. I'm a little shocked by that, that this didn't go and and uh, get to that point. Because right. we saw the names yeah. floated out there, but at the end of the day, it looked like Kay had made up his mind. He wanted Shire. And, and maybe this is something that he has had in the works for a month now and has vetted this thing for a while and just kept it close to the vest and ultimately settled on Shire. But the way that it's portrayed out is that it kind of happened overnight, which there's probably yeah, some in between there. True. It, it yeah. didn't happen overnight, but it also probably didn't take a whole month or two months so my guess is the decision came down to this it's okay we can say this is my final year and peg a successor right now and if you're going that route and you feel like there's value in announcing the next head coach right now basically your only option is john shire maybe nolan smith may, but like you'd have to nolan go smith in-house wasn't gonna then. get that job right yeah. so You'd have to, if you're going to peg a successor right now and announce it and say, this is the coach in waiting, it has to be an assistant coach from your school. I guess you could say Wojo was on the market, but like that's, he's like the last of the guys. That's only if you want that to be the pick. And I don't think Kay wanted that to be the pick. So I think the decision came down to, do we see real value in saying this is the guy next year or do we wait and say, okay, John Shire's a good coach, but there's some good candidates out there, and we can't peg them as a successor, but we could do a full-scale search. We can get Johnny Dawkins. We can get Quinn Snyder. We can gauge their interest after the season, see where they're at, and do it the UNC way, basically. And it's fascinating because now these two schools, UNC and Duke, kind of at similar points in the state of the program. They're both coming off some down years, They're both not really the powers they used to be. We're shifting into this weird period in college basketball history where not only will they not have those forefathers as their head coach, but they'll also be dealing with a whole bunch of other stuff in college basketball. And frankly, I do think next five, ten years, Duke and UNC are going to dip because we've already seen the changing of the guard in some respects, and we've already seen them dip. So... Like, if they were coming off a national title and they were Baylor and they just made a coaching change, I'd feel better about it, but I'd still be worried. And the fact that there's already been a changing of the guard 
makes me pretty darn worried. Like, the ACC has already shifted more towards Charlottesville and Tallahassee in the past couple years. And now it's how does a young coach that's unproven come in and completely flip that? So I do think UNC and Duke, next five, ten years, will not be perennial powers. They will not be the Blue Bloods we're expecting. Yeah, and you kind of laid it out, too. They haven't really been. I don't think the dip is going to be as drastic just because I think the brand is so strong and so big at those schools that the head coach, it matters, but I don't think it it detracts from the ability to attract talent. I still think you'll be able to attract talent because you are Duke, because you are UNC. And that's why I'm not as worried. I think what we're looking at in terms of a dip is a team that's perennially picked to finish in the top three. Maybe it's now the top six. I, I don't think that you're going to see In the Duke, ACC or, or in what? In the AC, ACC, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I don't think you're going to see a Duke or a Carolina team get picked eighth, tenth in the conference no. over these next handful of years. Now, could they play out that way? Yeah, absolutely. But that's just, I think, the nature of sports where you can have high expectations and ultimately not satisfy them. So right. I think from a in terms of buzz and hype surrounding the program and the, the attractiveness to play at these programs, I don't think that is going to change a whole heck of a lot over these next couple uh, of years. But what? looking at the rest of the, the ACC here – in terms of the the coaches that could be next. Obviously, Jim Beheim's name gets floated out there. There's a couple of other guys that are a lot older as well. Um, I look at it as who is going to be the next and who is going to be tasked with building a program again. And Beheim's name is floated out there with Syracuse, Jim Laranega at Miami, Leonard Hamilton at Florida. Actually, another name that I'm a little surprised didn't get more buzz for the, the the Duke job is Mike Bray because he is one of those guys who has had success. And I'm a little more shocked that he has not been given a, a longer look at, at becoming the next coach of Duke. Yeah, he's kind of like Mike Hopkins when you talk about Syracuse because he's on the hot seat at his current job. And I would say Mike Bray's seat might even be hotter. It's, it's tough to say entirely because then it really just comes down to figures and where they're at in their contract. And with Hopkins, they weren't going to fire him last year, given his contract. Mike Bray will not get fired, but he will probably get a, a little, okay, maybe you call it quits and nudge him out the door if they continue to struggle. Now, Notre Dame looks like they are in for a bounce back year that will be much needed next year. If they flop next year, I think Mike Bray will probably be out at Notre Dame. So it's similar because he's had tons of success. He's long been pegged as maybe the guy but he's just not a hot commodity right now the way that his school is, is going and the way that he is actively on the hot seat at his school. And and if you're decided between Mike Bray or John Shire, I'd probably go John Shire from the standpoint that you can announce him as a successor and set out a plan in motion and ease that transition. I do think there's a real value in that, and I get why the jokes come up like, oh, Kay just wanted that farewell tour. There is value, and I'm sure Kay take, takes pride in that farewell tour a little bit, but I think it's the better way to go, ultimately. I, As a UNC fan, I wish that they probably just said, because we knew it was going to be Hubert Davis all along, mostly. So why don't you just come out and say it 
And I think that would have been better for recruiting if they said it last year. But Roy didn't know last year, so it's tough. Right. So much has changed in the last 12 months as how the sport's going to navigate and and move forward. So there, there's only so much you could have done from Roy's standpoint. I, at the end of the day, I think all of these blue blood programs will be fine. But when you look at who could be next, even though Jim Beheim's the oldest, I don't know if he's next. I still think there is a a strong chance that we'll see Leonard Hamilton or Jim Laranega or one of these other coaches step down before Bayheim just because I think Bayheim genuinely loves coaching more than some of these other guys. And to be honest, I like it would not have shocked me if Leonard Hamilton had went to a final four, whether it was this year or the year before, if he would have just called it quits then. It, it would yeah. not have shocked me because he has kind of run his program like Roy in a sense where we're going to get a lot of four-year guys and we're just going to graduate guys. And he just runs the program the right way, it feels like. It has a very Carolina feel to it at Florida State. And Jim Laranega, I mean, between FBI investigations, name, image, likeness, and and the transfer portal, will he continue to be able to keep up is another question because he is one of those guys who is up there in age in the conference as well. So we could see the a complete overhaul, really, in the ACC in terms of the coaches over these next two or three years. Yeah, we could. On the note of Bayheim, you know, like there's two ways to interpret those comments that you mentioned when he when he talks to Adam Zagoria there. And he says, I could coach in, into my 80s and I'm not thinking about retiring. One is he just genuinely means that. Two is... Of course he's going to say that because recruits. And you, like, he's smart. If he comes out and tells Zagoria, yeah, like, I'm kind of losing motivation and this might be it this year, that's the worst thing you could do for the transition and for recruiting. In a huge class that's upcoming for Syracuse in 2022, the last thing you want to do is say, I'm still feeling it out. I'm I'm uncertain. Because what do college kids want? They just want certainty. Like, Duke might still be able to recruit when it's John Shire, but they're not going to be able to recruit if Coach K sits down with his parent or with the college kid's parents and it's like, eh, one year, two year, I don't know. Like, that's the last thing you want to do. So how much of it is Bayheim genuinely meaning it and how much of it is him being smart and realizing that in order for me to go out with some successful years, I have to maintain that I am committed to coaching or else recruiting will dip. And by the way, He's been through it once already because he announced in three years, in 2015, he said, in three years, I'm going to retire in 2018. And they couldn't really recruit anyone in that time period. So he knows that, and he's been honest about recruiting dipped when I made that decision. And I don't think he wants to experience a recruiting dip again like that because that's really detrimental to the team. Yeah, no doubt. All right, that's going to do it for us here on today's episode of Made for March. We will be back again. We'll probably dive into some more transfer portal stuff because all that continues to keep flowing out. Maybe some recruiting as well because guess what? The the AAU circuit is back. So we'll tell you everything you need to know about what's going on this entire summer. TBT is going to get fired up too. So we will be all ears for all that stuff for the remainder of the summer. For Tim, I'm Tyler. We'll talk to you guys next week. The game was over.